from HerbMentor.com. This is HerbMentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Gail Faith Edwards. Gail is an herbal educator with more than 30 years' experience as a community herbalist. She runs Blessed Maine Herb Farm, where she has many herbal programs, as well as handcrafted, beautiful handcrafted herbal goods from teas to tinctures to body products and so much more. You can visit Gail at www.blessedmainherbs.com, and that's Maine as in the state, <laughs> blessedmainherbs.com. Uh, Gail wrote Traversing the Wild Terrain of Menopause, Herbal Allies for Midlife Women and Men. And Gail's uh, book, Opening Our Wild Hearts to the Healing Herbs, is one of Kimberly and, and, and mine's favorite herbal books, and it's always one of the top three books that we grab when we want to look something up. And um, that's why it's an incredible honor to have you on our mentor radio today. Good morning, Gail. How you doing? Good morning, John. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Awesome. And you know, I, I was so excited to find out that, yes, y- yet I'm interviewing yet another Jerseyite here. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 last, last, in, in last month's episode, we interviewed Linda Runyon again, you know, and she's in Jersey uh-huh. doing their or, or wild foods. And, and so I wonder what it's, what, what's about Jersey that, 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 that spits well, out so many great herbalists. <laughs> it is the Garden State. It's always been known as the Garden State. I did grow up in Hoboken, which was not very garden-like, but actually my grandparents were Italian, and they had a beautiful, well-tended garden out behind their brownstone. So although Hoboken, New Jersey, doesn't seem like a, a place where an herbalist would get her start, in fact, that's what I did. I used to love to hang out back there with my grandparents and they would tend their plants, and I would just play, and I absorbed their love for the for the plants and for the gardening. So it was kind of a magical uh, beginning there. Yeah, you know that's interesting because you know my 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 great grandfather uh, was from Italy, and hmm. um, my grandmother, though my grandmother herself, she. I would call her more the the queen of suburbia. She was really striving for uh, that kind of, uh, you know, she was actually, actually I say that because she actually um, bought the very first Levitt home outside of Philadelphia in Levittown. (laughs) But her dad, uh, she said her dad would go out in the park and, uh, and 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 pick uh, and and pick the dandelion leaves and and would cook with them and and so I just oh, I, yes. so I uh, I say it maybe it skips two generations or three generations <laughs> but it I'm, never gets lost for very long no, it, it seems doesn't. like it's in our blood you know it really mm-hmm. is it really is yeah mm-hmm. so you know so you're saying that you 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 learn from your you you're inspired by your grandparents and 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 but when it came time to learn more about the herbs, um, um, do, do you find that it was the, the, the plants that taught you, or do you have mentors that taught, taught you? Well, I'll tell you, when I was about 20 years old, I was hanging out in upstate New York quite a lot in the Catskill Mountains. And at that time, uh, all of nature was kind of really coming alive for me. And someone handed me a book um, uh, Stalking the Wild uh, Asparagus by Yule Gibbons, mm-hmm. and that book just kind of changed my life, and suddenly I was just going all around and looking at the plants individually. They were kind of, uh, you know, peeking out at me, and from that point on, I, I just, uh, you know, became 
deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the, the with the plants. And uh, from there, it's been a lifelong work. You know, that was back in the early 70s. And so when I moved to Maine shortly thereafter, I used to walk all around the roadsides and through the woods and the fields, just identifying plants, gathering plants, drying them, and little by little experimenting with the ones that really appealed to me. And um, at the same time, starting to garden and starting medicinal herb plants. And I will say I've studied with, uh, you know, many wonderful, wonderful herbal teachers and read voraciously for the past 30 or 40 years every book I could possibly get my hands on about herbs, herbal medicine, mm-hmm. energy healing, you name it. But really it's been on my knees in my garden that I have really connected on the deepest level with the plants. And I will say that uh, my greatest teachers have really been the plants themselves. So um, I believe very, very strongly in following the uh, herbal ally method of learning about plants. And in fact, that's really what I did. I would choose one plant Mm -hmm. every year that I focused great, you know, majority of my attention on learning about and experimenting with, growing it, harvesting it, or finding it in the wild. And I think year by year, doing that and really um, connecting uh, slowly with the plants, one by one, uh, really in the way of taking them on as friends and uh, energetic entities that I would rely on and trust and my trust over the years grew, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in increments. As I started having children, mm-hmm. I lived off the grid, back in the woods, and, you know, very, very simple, very, very close to nature uh, lifestyle. No electricity. After a while, we got solar mm-hmm. power, but <laughs> at first, carrying our water, building our house little by little, having the children all born at home. And I took great responsibility for the health care of my children and my family. So uh, that was, you know, one of the great inspirations uh, that carried me along really on the herbal path was uh, wanting to learn all I could to nourish my family and to heal my family. Um, and then that kind of little by little spread out to my neighbors and my community. And after, you know, years of um, growing plants and and making simple medicines and sharing them with my friends and community, I began to uh, hear people refer to me as the herbalist. I see. And uh, that was really when I felt uh, that I had found my uh, path in life. Before that, I really didn't have any... um, You know, I wasn't really focused on becoming an herbalist. I was really focused on learning all I could about the plants and about the medicinal herbs and as that related to the health care of my family and then my friends. So this, you know, 30 years, 35 years later, here I am kind of still doing the very same thing, but my children are grown and uh, my 
neighborhood and my community has expanded by the hundredfold, uh, wow. you know, uh, statewide. And then um, because I have a lot of uh, herbalists come uh, to study with me from other places around the country and even now around the world. Uh, so my community and my sense of community has really expanded. Uh, you know, I do the herbal correspondence courses, and uh-huh. uh, 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 students take that from everywhere. I have students in Australia and South Africa and all over Europe, and I've been invited to go to India to give um, uh, for 10 days. I, I taught uh, herbal medicine-making, community health, to the doctors and community health workers in Bhopal, India, wow. uh, at a, a free clinic there. So that was an excellent opportunity to use my herbal medicine skills and my community uh, skills in a completely different environment, you know, which I just loved. It was a, a, such an honor and such a great experience to be invited there. And then uh, also I, I spend my winters in Italy, so I have, uh, over the last wow. five years, kind of developed a, a beautiful community also there in my original village in Italy, where my grandmother is from and all my grandmothers before her. What part of it? So, um, we're from southern Italy, a little tiny village called Monte San Giacomo, uh, a remote little village way up in the Apennine Mountains. Um, it's a, a village that was built over a thousand years ago back in the 8th century. And um, it's just the most magical, incredible place. Uh, it's, uh, there's an ancient, uh, of, it's called the Valley of Diana, which is a huge, ancient, uh, very, very fertile valley. Uh, it used to be an, uh, uh, a lake many, many millions of years ago. It all drained out through the limestone and left a very fertile plain. So there's 13 original Neolithic villages uh, that surround this huge uh, fertile valley, and our village is one of them. It's a very, very exquisite place. In the uh, next village over, we have an uh, ancient Aslepian dream temple. Uh, Back in the ancient days in, Mm -hmm. in Italy and in Greece, they would erect healing temples. Uh, to the god Asclepius, and priestesses would uh, be there, uh, and they would live in the temple with snakes, and the snakes would um, speak to them and and give them prophecy and whisper secrets about healing. And uh, so several times now I've gone to this healing temple, which over the centuries turned into a Catholic church, and now is a beautiful, uh, very, very small uh, museum. But it's incredible wow. when you go in there and you see the art collection from way back when and you feel the vibrations. And, of course, it's the original tile floor from thousands of years oh, ago. Wow. B- B.C. period, you know, when they would be praying and healing and sleeping in here. And right next door to this beautiful temple, kind of right around the corner, is the Herbal Museum. And in there are all the herbs from all over southern uh, Italy and all of the uh, actual history of the herbal use there in Italy, how the, uh, you know, indigenous people used the plants 
and also not just plants but animal parts also uh, were in jars and all kinds of interesting things. So this is all very, very new to me, this whole Italian. Of course, I grew up in Italian culture, but it was only five years ago that I actually returned to my... um, original homeland you know I, into I those would like mountains. to do that sometime I, I know all I know is uh, my my great grandfather is from uh, like uh, Aguila or in, in that part of Italy wherever that I think it's in the middle north of Rome or something like that I don't know Avila? Uh, a, 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 Aguila a, like uh, oh uh, Aquila Aquila yeah, yeah, like yeah. oh okay yeah. your grandfather is from Aquila uh, uh, south of your great grandfather yeah. Ah, and and he, is he your only Italian uh, uh, ancestor? Uh, well, um, well, my my, I don't have any living, um, but because yeah. his my, um, but yeah, the, the as far as as far as ancestors that I know for sure that came right from Europe, he's the well, they all came from, but you know that 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 I met or know for sure, um, right. he's the only one that we know for sure. Uh, because yeah. um, on the Irish side, it's all like nobody kept records, all famine, you know, related. And right. And then, but yeah. Italy. But he stowed away on a boat. I think the story goes he uh, blew up a bridge or something, and he was running from the police and stowed away on oh a boat. Oh, my. And, 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 and ended up in Philadelphia. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, uh-huh. and actually ended up inventing the little mints with the jelly inside of it that you find in the restaurants with the little <laughs> No, kidding. That I'm was serious. your great grandfather. Wow, claim to fame. I know. <laughs> yeah, the wonderful thing about going back to Italy is that uh, they keep such uh, impeccable family records. Right. And uh, many of the older people, even though they, they may not even read or write, they know all of the ha- family histories mm-hmm. uh, and all of the family relationships by blood and by marriage. So much so that even though it had been 99 years, almost to the day, when we returned to the village after my grandmother had left, but we were still welcomed as San, as San Jaguamese people. Wow. We were recognized, and they knew who our family was. Oh, wow. So they accepted us immediately, and I still had cousins and extended family there in the village. So anyone who would return who has roots such as you do and knows the village, I would just, oh, my God, it's like, a, you know, it's like such an important part of, existence is really connecting <laughs> with your roots, you know, and with your original place. And right. uh, that was very, very, very real for me, very deep. When I went profound. back, when I went to County Donegal in Ireland, where like literally Gallagher's like uh, Smith or Jones there, like every other person yeah. there is Gallagher. So it's not quite the same as like, oh, yep, another one. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of, uh-huh, yeah, it's kind of, here, sit down beside the rest of us. Yeah, uh-huh. there's a whole pub full of Gallagher's here. Uh, that must have been fun. So you have kind of uh, gone and, and recontacted on your Irish side. I have, I have. I spent, yeah. a year, I spent a year there in 94 just kind of traveling around and soaking it all in and seeing where you know where it all where it all started and trying to get in touch yeah. with that and it was a really powerful experience it was really mm. you know people... and i bet the the connect excuse me i'm sorry i didn't mean to speak over you no, but no, no, no. it's very uh, uh powerful how the landscape uh affects us did you feel a, a instant relationship with the landscape there i did gail and you know yeah. i you know it, it 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 connected me to the music there i realized that irish music 
is really about the landscape and you can just mm. feel the landscape and the music and when i uh was there and 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 i was working mostly in a, in a, a about two counties south of where the gallagher's are originally from and um and i went away for a little while for a summer uh part of the summer and then i went back to work there in the fall and uh i've never felt a sense of being home ever mm. in my life than being in that spot right there i know that mm. it's you know i knew that like because it's in the dna and right. and, and, and 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 it res there's a re must be a resonance there Absolutely. Because when I Absolutely. was there, I actually felt like I belonged. The people in the village, they welcomed me. That was part. I was teaching their kids guitar. They welcomed me mm -hmm. in their homes. They, they, you know, they, and it was just, and, and, and I never even felt that in New Jersey where I grew up. You know, I don't feel mm -hmm. that where I am. I don't feel anywhere in America. But when I was there, uh, mm -hmm. I actually felt a homecoming. Like it was like it was deep. And, uh, so when I, when I turn 40 uh, next June, I'm bringing my family there for a couple of weeks. Oh, and, that's, and, that's uh, wonderful. Yes, that's very, very important. Yeah. That's great. So it was, yeah, uh, I understand I what, you what you're saying. It's a very deep sense of place. And, and I think yeah. that's why the herbs, too, you know, I, the herbs that I can seem to connect with the most mm. also are all herbs that are, are there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I use nettles and... And, 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 and herbs like that, I, I, I know I met them all there, too. You know, I, right. and, and, and they're the ones that seem so it's uh, interesting as an acupuncturist. I was never actually, uh, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, attracted to go work with um, like uh, Chinese herbs because I, I just feel like the herbs of place have been more powerful for me. Mm -hmm. You know, so mm, yeah. interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I mean, and, and that all seems like a, a a story or narrative that that you and I and our lives have developed with the plant. So I'd like you to speak about that because you know, people what what people come on Herb Mentor and they're they're some have have some experience and others are, but many many are, are, are ran new at it and looking at it wide eyed and, and and you know looking for a little direction and and I think what would help people if you'd speak to that as far as finding your own story with the herbs like so how what advice do you give people that are that you're teaching because you, you teach yeah, a lot you of know people. that's <laughs> a really good question and uh actually i hadn't really uh, uh you know uh, it, it's a very interesting question and that is something like thinking back and thinking even if you wanted to do it on that genetic or dna level uh, for instance, speaking from my own experience as a, a woman of Italian descent, what did my ancestors use for herbs and plants? What were the plants that grew wildly, abundantly, commonly in the area that my blood comes from? You know, what did my grandmothers use for cooking and for eating and to nourish their families? and for healing. And that's the kind of uh, research that I've really been doing. Um, and then also, uh, there's stories from your own family. You know, I remember as a young, very young child, my grandmother would always make chamomile tea. And it, uh, just the smell of chamomile, even now that I'm 60 years old, instantly relaxes me and makes me feel like I'm at the kitchen table with my grandmother and she's taking care of me, you know? Right. It's a very, very uh, beautiful connection. So I think um, an herb like chamomile came through my grandmother's 
family line. In, in Italy, chamomile is just on every shelf, in every home, in every pharmacy, in every little grocery store, you'll find chamomile flowers mm. because that's what people use for tea. Uh, Matricaria uh, literally means dear mother. And it's an oh. herb that was traditionally um, associated with not the Blessed Mother, but her mother, Santa Anna, the grandmother of Jesus, the dear mother. Right. And so as a, a, uh, it just so happens that Santa Anna, or Saint Anne, as she's known in America, is the patron saint of our village. And so chamomile as a plant associated with Santa Anna is very much the herb of choice, especially in our village, but all throughout Italy. So I think it's things like that. And also uh, living here in Maine, what are the herbs that grow naturally and abundantly right here, right around me, right around my house and on my farm? And that would be plants very, very similar, actually, to the plants that grow wildly in uh, southern Italy and Mm -hmm. also probably... Uh, a lot of them would grow in uh, northern Europe, like in uh, Ireland. So plants like nettles, mm-hmm. plants like red clover, like chickweed. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are wild, abundant plants, dandelion, mm. uh, yellow dock, burdock. Wherever you go in, in you know, northern or temperate uh, zones, you're going to find these same plants. And so these plants are... Uh, readily available they grow all over the world and they resonate with most of us you know genetically from way back our ancestors were nourished on these very same plants you know so that kind of is still ringing in our cells and when we sit with a plant like nettles or we sit with a plant like red clover you know, we can connect at that very, very deep level uh, using, I well, I really like to meditate with plants. Mm-hmm. I really um, uh, mm-hmm. have conceived of connecting with the plants through the heart. My first book was called Opening Our Wild Hearts. I believe very much in this concept of the wild heart within each one of us. Mm-hmm. And I feel that it's this wild heart that each one of us possesses that resonates and rings true and clear and pure with the wild heart of the earth and therefore with the plants. You know, we're made of all the very same substances that the plants are made of. Molecule for molecule, we're exactly the same. We give them the carbon dioxide they need. They give us the oxygen. So we're totally in a symbiotic, beautiful, expressive uh, exchange all through, you know, evolution or whatever. Yeah. And it, here we are still with these very same plants. As I'm speaking to you, I'm mm. looking out the window at one of my very favorite trees. It's an oak tree. Mm. And I love the oak. I love the presence of the oak. I love the strength and the endurance and the spiritual uh, depth of the oak. Uh, It has such a strong presence, and it tends to give that energy to those who uh, relate with it or live around it. And it's this kind of energy that I Mm -hmm. think people pick up on and uh, connect with when they're learning about plants. 
these are the unspoken connections. This is the kind of stuff you don't really read about in a book. It's the kind of intimate knowledge that you gain just by being with the plants, you mm. know, by uh, working with the plants and by observing and then using the plants. So I think the energetic uh, quality of the plants, the personality uh, level, the vibrational level is very, very important to pay attention to uh, when you're learning about plants. So that you know, I, I it's uh, that it it. I always have these aha moments. This is great because I because I, I I'm kind of feeling that the more I I would do herb walks with people and I. You know, when you do herb walks with people, there's you know you're te- you want everyone to know about dandelion and plantain and chickweed and red clover and these herbs and nettles and and um and it's always just amazing that um to just see the that to feel that light bulb going off in people it, it's almost mm-hmm. like it's that reintroduction it's like they've had the connection all along, but you're just helping them acknowledge it a little bit and kind of nudging it along where Absolutely, absolutely. You're helping them remember. It's like shaking loose, long, deeply encoded information. And just the process of being in the presence of the plants, Mm. smelling the plants, looking at them, tasting them, touching them, all that comes through the senses is helping to reawaken, you know, and as uh, as a teacher, when you're giving the actual information that you know about the plant, that too is resonating with the students, and they're remembering what kind of they know intuitively about the plants or what they've heard. And I love uh, when I'm teaching or leading a walk or having a class, I love hearing what all the other students know about these different plants that we're meeting. You know, right. some are meeting them for the first time, but others. There's a huge body of knowledge, and everyone seems to have pieces of it, you know? And it's so much fun when you get together with a small group or even a little bigger group, and everyone kind of puts into the pot, you know? And you can learn so much. As a teacher, I know that I learn so much from my students. I get so much energy and inspiration from them. That kind of keeps me going, you know? So it's such a wonderful exchange. I I I, uh, I love it. Yeah. I, lo- I love what you said about you know meditating with the plants because and and, and 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 what you just said as well about people teaching you because you know there's sometimes when I ha- I get a group of students with a with a college program at Wilderness Awareness School and I'll, I'll send them out for like uh, like an hour to sit with a plant and when mm. they come back and we get in a circle there's usually twenty people or so mm-hmm. by the time we get around the whole circle. And then they want me to tell them like what's in the book, and I'm mm. like, you just said it. <laughs> you, you just yeah. uh, between the group mind, yeah. they actually. I just, really trust that. They, yeah. they use their senses, and then these are people that are trained all year to to connect with nature and and, and high, have heightened senses in nature and mm. and all. And, mm-hmm. and then and then when they use those skills, and then they bring it back to me. So they they usually say, oh yeah, this is what I'm feeling from this plan, and this. I'm like, yep. That's pretty much it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I um, I recently, as I we've we've had to postpone this uh, talk a couple of times because uh um because of my my back going out and and then I I, I reached for one of my uh, favorite books this uh, 
Oh, the, this little one opening her wild hearts to the healing herbs I have on my, my bookshelf. I don't know if you've heard of it. But, Thank you uh, for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, mm-hmm. I, but, uh, but um, you, you write in there, um, um, you know, um, I, for example, you, you, wrote, you wrote in there, when my foot hurts, I, I don't take an aspirin and go back to work. The wise woman tradition has taught me to take the time to soak my foot and rub it with some healing oil. And you then, then you and then you go on about giving it attention, and so I just you know wanted you to talk a little bit about that because I when I was like thinking okay it backs out and I and I was you know wanting to go about it in in a way um, and, and and so uh, so anyway what, with the wise woman tradition and, and and all of this what can you speak about this a little bit or, or? yeah you know uh i love that wise woman tradition and that was such a beautiful philosophy of course susan weed has pretty much coined the phrase and kind of popularized mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. but there's three basic uh principles as i understand the wise woman tradition and these principles the more i focus on them the more they become kind of uh, guiding principles for living life in general so um the first principle of the wise woman tradition would be the focus on common, abundant, nourishing herbs. Uh, it's not the, the trendy ones. It's not the, you know, real popular ones everyone's talking about. It's the ones we've kind of been discussing, the, the ones that are everywhere mm-hmm. growing around us. Mm-hmm. So this uh, uh, idea that it's the common, abundant, and nourishing, the key word there is on nourishment. Uh, and then it's also this uh, focus on opening the heart and developing compassion mm-hmm. and love and um, connecting, as I, I speak about, uh, opening the wild heart and connecting with that wild heart of nature. So this heart part, the part about the heart and developing empathy and compassion and love, the higher senses of us, uh, of our human uh uh, abilities. This is another very, very important concept in the wise woman tradition, and therefore offering that compassion and that love to all other life forms, you know. And then the third principle is the cultivation of simple uh, ceremony and ritual in daily life, because it's this cultivation and the focus on the simple daily rituals of every life, of everyday life, and we all have them, just the way you wake up in the morning and you make your cup of tea or your cup of coffee or the way you say a prayer before you eat your dinner mm-hmm. or the way you kiss your children or have a little ceremony of going to sleep at night. These are the beautiful, deep, precious ceremonies and rituals of daily life. And when we perform these with consciousness and with attention, they bring our awareness to the sacredness of everyday life, of the simplicity of life. So these three uh, basic principles of the wise woman tradition have kind of really um, settled down into my bones. And the the middle one, uh, the one about the uh, love and cultivating compassion and uh, acceptance, this kind of relates to the the way we treat our own body because um, we must love ourselves. We must discover self-love and self-healing before we can ever move into a space of sharing love with others Mm -hmm. and not only other people but all other creatures, including the plants and the earth. So, um, you know, in the wise woman tradition, when we have an illness, 
instead of, as is very common in our culture, something is wrong, like your foot is hurting, all you really want to do is end the pain and get back to what you were doing. Right. You, really, you kind of want to just numb it and, and forget about it. But in the wise woman tradition, we were taught to have the perspective, oh, now what's going on here? To bring our attention. Pain is a, is a, a, a calling. Put your attention here. Something's going on. So why ignore that? If your body's talking to you, it only makes sense to pay attention. And so you look and you see, what can I do here to nourish myself? What can I do here to help this foot feel better? Mm -hmm. This is extending love to my foot, to my own body. You know, if I can't do that, I, I will not be very good at handing you any, any type of assistance, love or healing, you know, or, or most important, hope. Because as we all know, as herbalists and people who work with uh, transforming plant energies into medicine uh, that will hopefully nourish and heal. We're really, uh, we're really cultivating hope. We're really trying to hand some hope to a, a person who comes to us for some kind of help. And I always tell my students, along with the medicine that you give someone or the advice or the information, the herbal uh, knowledge and education, you you give the person a great deal of hope. Mm. And if that person doesn't turn around to you as they are leaving and say something that sounds like, mm -hmm. oh, thank you so much, I feel so much better mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. you, you have failed. You haven't really done your job as a healer. Mm. So, you know, these, these concepts mm. reverberate on many different levels of life. And certainly this wild heart, this cultivation of compassion, empathy, and love is very, very, very key to working with the plants, uh, you know, and to making all of the uh, connections from the plants to the humans. So I see, and 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 it's that approach and that feeling you get from your book that is the reason why Kimberly and I like why my copy is completely, you know, worn out practically <laughs> with the cover all rain, you know, because because um, here I am, you know, with it, with the back on out and and. And, um, and and through that lens of healing, the way you're approaching it, that resonates in the plant monograph. So, for example, the, the St. John's Word oil and tincture I've been using to help with the pain part, but also in the inner right. nourishment, horsetail and, and comfrey infusions, right. for example, mm. for the inner strength. And so it's it's it, it always, like, it helps me to, you know, connect and, dis, you know, discover these to go deeper with with the plants, and because every time I learn more and more about, as for we study a different, we have an herb of the month every month on 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 herbmentor.com, and we're Saint John's Word is 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 the June one, and mm. um, and just ironic that I've been using so much of it. Right on time, because your little description in paragraph four here is perfect, and I was just like, "Yep, uh -oh. that's me." <laughs> uh, you couldn't have planned that any better. Well, oh, I see. Boy. I'm not planning. I'm just going along mm -hmm. with the flow of life here, and I'm just, it, yeah. I'm just. It just seems to life seems to kind of plan itself. But yeah. I, but I want to get on to a few questions from some members because hey, enough about me. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. And and um. Thank you. This, this is great. Um, so besides a, a myriad of compliments and, and praise, um, 
<laughs> that, that came in from different members like oh i love it i love it i love that book um um De- deborah wanted to know um what was the, be- the best way to harvest roots because she has an angelica plant and a marshmallow and she would like to harvest it this fall so what's the best mm-hmm. way how would she harvest those roots okay well angelica uh, is not very, very different from the root ball that's going to be found underneath the marshmallow. They both have big mm-hmm. kind of rhizomes that have other uh, snake-like roots kind of going off of them. So I, I usually wait when I'm going to dig roots until I've had a few, a frost or two at least, because a frost will give the plant the um, hint, winter's coming, time mm-hmm. to store all your nourishment inside. Mm-hmm so that you can grow again uh, in the spring. So the, uh, after a, a frost or two, I usually will dig my roots. And I have a special root digging shovel. I don't know what the official name for it is, but it's not a curved shovel. It's a very straight blade, and it's a little bit longer on the longer side. And this type of shovel is perfect for digging roots because it doesn't cut the roots as you're you're going down into the soil with the shovel. So I usually dig straight down a few inches away from the uh, crown of the plant, you know, uh, depending on how large the plant looks. And then I just make a circle with the straight bladed shovel all the way around that plant uh, so that I'm not going to put the shovel blade underneath and possibly break some of the root off. Um, and then I lift that up as best I can with the help of the shovel, shovel or with my hands and some hand tools, and then shake off all the soil from the, from the roots. Mm-hmm. Leave it right there because soil is the gardener's gold, and you don't want to remove too much of your precious soil. It takes so many hundreds and hundreds of years to build a little inch of topsoil. So you shake all your soil and you leave it right there in the bed and carry the roots to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, the both angelica and marshmallow, well, for marshmallow, those leaves and flowers are all wonderful medicine. So uh, they can be taken, cut from the root and dried separately. And then the root, just I usually lay my roots on um, either newspaper or a screen overnight so that they just, the dirt that's on them can just dry off. And then uh, the next morning I'll take a stiff brush and I just brush all the parts of the root uh, off. Alternately, I might take it in uh, from the garden and rinse it very, very quickly. A lot of times I don't like to uh, do too much rinsing because a lot of what's mm-hmm. uh, on the plant material, the roots, is very water-soluble, vitamins and minerals, and I don't want to do too much running water and um, soaking of those roots mm-hmm. because I don't want to lose a lot of that good nourishment. Mm-hmm. So whatever I do, washing or leaving it, I do it briskly and I process quickly. So if I was going to tincture, if your uh, student, Debbie, is planning to tincture those roots, she would bring them in and chop them up immediately and put them in the jar and cover them with her alcohol. Uh, And if she's going to dry them, she could cut segments of those roots and uh, tie string around them and dry them in the air. That's one way. She could slice them into narrow slices and lay them on screens to dry. Um, You know, those are 
two uh, basic ways of doing it. I usually like air drying. I don't usually use an oven for drying, uh, but of course you could put an oven on the lowest possible heat and then put your plant material in the oven with the oven door open a little bit Mm -hmm. and uh, speed the drying along that way. But if you have some nice dry weather, even um, beautiful roots do not take all that long of a time to dry. Uh, you know, and then if you're not drying them, you're tincturing them, that's just done immediately. Okay. The, the soonest you bring it in from the garden or from the earth and into the menstruum, the better. Okay. The less time that goes by. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, uh, um, Bonita from Missouri um, wants to know, like, um, she gets a little confused about the uh, using the, she has a quote-unquote original plant for medicinal purposes or a new type. So she means like yarrow. She uh, reads, uh, reads that uh, you should use the one with the white flower, not the colored ones, or even with mullein, you use the, you know, uh, I guess the ver- the verbascan fapsis, or can you use some of the other ones? So you're more colorful ble- um, breeds. So what do you recommend as far as for using medicine? Okay, well, I recommend sticking with the official plant medicines. Okay. So we need to know the genus and the species of mm-hmm. the official plant medicine. Mm-hmm. For instance, St. John's wort is Hypericum perforatum. Now, there's other Hypericums, uh, but they're, they're different varieties. They're the same genus, Hypericum, but they're not the perforatum. Mm-hmm. So it's the perforatum that you, you know, will want to be looking for. In the case of mullein, it's verbascum thapsis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other ornamental mullins, and I doubt if they would have the same a type of medicinal, uh, you know, action as the official plant. So this is why we, we have the classifications and the Latin names of, of the plant, so there's no mistaking. With chickweed, it's the Stellaria medea. You know, there's other cute little uh, chickweeds, but that one is the official plant. So we need to know the genus, the species, and then look for that particular plant. The ornamental species may have some medicinal qualities, and they may not. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, broad range of possibilities there. So we stick to the the, uh, the varieties mm-hmm. that are known to be the, the medicinal variety. And, and Bonita, just so you know, too, I... Uh, um that's all I was seeing was these other kind of mullins and and so I actually ordered seeds of the official verbascum fapsis and start starting them right now on my windowsill to put in my new herb garden for that very reason knowing that I right yeah <laughs> so with uh, I I you often tell my students this too you know it's wonderful to go out wild gathering but then with so many of us out there wild gathering there's there's the danger that we could be starting to over harvest you know right, right. and so with a lot of these usually wild plants mm-hmm. if you do have a little bit of space and it doesn't take much a lot of these very beautiful medicinal plants even grow well in big pots, you know, that you could put on a porch or a windowsill. Mm. So just like you said with planting the mullein, I think that's a fabulous idea. And then those mullins are very, very likely to just go wild all around your place in, in subsequent years, 
you know, so then you're sure of what you have. That'd be and, great. Um, see yeah, where I, where I, think... I live, like Mullen, St. John's Wood, Burdock, whereas where you live will be in all, you know, in various places and fields. It's so wet here. The only places where we see those are often in these well-drained, like, highway medians and not uh... actually out in fields. So I have to intentionally create environments in my wet northwest that right. Mullen's going to like. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. Okay, it's not like New Jersey when you're going down no. that highway. I forgot what name it is, but it's nothing but Mullen sticking out of all of Everywhere. the rocks and the cliffs. On the <laughs> exactly. On the <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay, so you have to make some sandy and gravelly, exactly. very, very dry I, areas. I made an herb garden in my backyard with just sandy, not great soil <laughs> to plant all of my favorite materials medicinals that I can't get anywhere else and I'm not um, watering it <laughs> I'm just gonna <laughs> like it. yeah uh, it's a lot of fun isn't it to I know. be a plant lover there's just <laughs> nothing but experiment after experiment and you it's said it right really there great. and that's a little for a lot of folks starting out you know I try my best to get some people to have some early successes but as they get yeah. a little further along to really just get comfortable with two things. It's one big experiment, and number two, you ain't never going to know it all, so get comfortable with it. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Well, you know, one good thing is that thinking of the Native American tradition, I often tell my students that uh, most uh, of the, you know, the highest renowned uh, medicine people really only had a pharmacopoeia that they were working with of maybe five to seven plants. Oh. That was it. They knew the plant so thoroughly. And we know that every plant has many, many uses and possibilities for use. So I think the point is to really go with the limitation of a small circle of very intimate uh, allies that you know very, very well and you can use for just about everything that comes up in your life or in your circle, rather than try to spread yourself so thin and try to accumulate knowledge of a hundred different plants, that knowledge is going to be a lot more superficial than the very deep knowledge that would come from uh, uh, imposing a limitation on yourself, you know, and doing that accumulation much more slowly. So, yeah, it can be very overwhelming because there's so much information. But just look, where what you said you're going to be 40, I'm 60. We've been spending our whole life learning about plants, and yet we're very honest to say we are very, very far and short from knowing everything there is to oh, know about no. plants. Gosh, I'm so humbled every time a new student comes to work with me, she already has knowledge that I haven't heard yet. You know, it's constantly changing and more is, is being known. So I think it's beautiful to admit all that you have no clue about uh -huh. and just be like a child, you know, open mm -hmm. and ready to learn, 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 you know. Uh, however, it comes to us. So I know it's uh, yeah. for for me. It's my in, advice. In Jersey, uh, you know, I, you know, Jersey uh, always kind of you know consider the uh, land of Camelon, since uh, out here in the Northwest, there's less people who use uh, spray their lawns because of uh, there's awareness in this area of salmon habitat. Yeah, of it. course. And it yeah. was that fateful day, spraying, spraying, spraying on the on on a landscape job I had that a friend said. You know what we're spraying there? That's called chickweed, and you can eat it. And then this is a like, good crack in my psyche. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and that was the day that like i think i uh, my 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 that, that heart my heart started to open to the possibility that maybe i shouldn't be spraying this chickweed you know? no kidding <laughs> so that was your actual job way back when mm, yeah yeah in late teens you know and i had a friend uh, who was at the mm-hmm, wilderness mm-hmm. awareness club in high school and he knew that information and told me and that just kind of stuck with me and then when I met right. up with John Young so many years later at Wilderness Awareness, I, I yeah, that was kind of the thing that like piqued my interest, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of chickweed, which is one of my favorite uh, salves that I make, uh, Peggy mm. in Michigan wanted to know what's the best medicinal salve you've ever made. <laughs> oh boy, the best medicinal salve I've ever made. Well, you know what? I have this one salve that I make. I call it the all-purpose healing salve. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that's got to be the best one I've ever made because it's really the one I keep making. Mm. Uh, and that has four different herbs in it. It has uh, comfrey and plantain, mm-hmm. St. John's wort, and calendula. Mm. And those four herbs are very, very, uh, you know, they cover a lot of bases. They're wonderful healing plants, especially for the skin or any types of afflictions that uh, come on the skin. So I I like that uh, combination. Of course, a a salve made from any one of those herbs would be fabulous also. Uh, And then you mentioned you love to make a chickweed salve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I agree. That's another wonderful salve. So it's really endless, but I guess I'd have to say that comfrey plantain, uh, St. John's wort, and calendula in pretty much equal parts is one of my very favorite. And then I add just a few drops of essential oil of lavender because I love the scent of essential oil of lavender and also because it accelerates the uh, healing of skin cells also. Anyone, so that's, anyone hmm? listening who's done the herbal medicine making kit? And uh, I didn't talk mm-hmm. to Gal first before I designed it. <laughs> that's the same exact Why, recipe that, your same recipe that, that your... you're talking. Yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm, exactly I'm, I'm the going, same I'm, one. I'm patting myself on the back here going, good job, right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's so funny. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's my favorite. And uh, I've been making that for many, many years now. And I haul that out for just about everything, you know, that I, I have a need for a salve for. So We're blessed then, here in the Northwest with an overabundance of cottonwood, uh, the uh, the balsam type. And uh, we just love making uh, just that simple salve as well out of just, just that oil and making it. Because mm. you don't have to add any essential oil. It's got a wonderful scent on its own. And it's, uh, mm, that's it's, nice. It's yeah, a student else. of mine was just telling me she made a cottonwood oil. And I was thinking, mm, that sounds so wonderful. Yeah. yeah so, uh, there's one what's I, your favorite? What's your favorite salve that you've I made? would have to say that um, the, though I, I I love the same exact recipe you were talking, and we do make that, and I have that and, and keep that in the fridge. I think I reach mm-hmm. most for the, the cottonwood, um, I think, because... I'm just kind of in that place where I'm really, uh, you know, as a learner, as a lifelong learner, we're always learning, uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, of um, tr- always like striving to keep it as simple as possible. And right. I, I, I find that the cottonwood, the balm, the, has so many healing properties from anti-inflammatory to skin healing and everything. Just mm-hmm. doing it in one plant. I just saying, what can I do with just one plant? And I, mm. and, I, and and though I love combining things and, and formulating, and that's fun too. I guess I always try to stay in that space because also as a teacher, and you probably find this as well, is this like 
um, they, I, I feel like there's so many people out there, and you find this too, uh, trying to make it complicated. <laughs> Right. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm always trying to pull it over to the other side. Yeah, well, I totally agree. And I think you're you're on to a very, very, very critically important point. And that is when students are just learning, the only way to really learn about the action of a plant is to use that plant alone. When you're learning about herbs, you need to drink some red clover mm. uh, infusions for a few weeks or a month with nothing else. So you could see, what does red clover do to my body? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, stay with a month of oat straw infusions and learn what kind of effects oat straw can really give you. You can hear people talk about oat straw as a balancer and giving stability and, you know, helping to restore uh, uh, balance to mood swings. But you don't know yourself what that does until you experience it and you can speak from that experience. So uh, I totally agree that in the early years, and that's going to be pretty much for the first 10 years of really seriously learning about herbs, it's really best Mm -hmm. to rely on the simples and to build that body of knowledge slowly, you know, and then little by little combining a plant with another based on your reading, your experience, your observation, seeing what grows well together and all of those types of things, and then slowly making combinations that work and and taking it from there. But absolutely, I think the wise woman tradition is really very, very strongly focused on the use of simples. Uh, also for safety, simple and mm-hmm. safe is always, you know, that's a very, very uh, mm. good way to proceed, always uh, with safety first, and that would certainly be relying on simples. And, and speaking of so. safety, you know, um, Mike wanted to, was had a question about correctly identifying um, plants in his backyard, and, and, and I'm just going to point Mike to the honor mentor, there's a how to learn about plants section where you can take a look at that but um but what one thing you could do and i'm sure if you agree gail is that um on identifying plants if a, a great field guide especially for the um is is the newcomb's wildflower guide and even if absolutely he, he, yeah. you're, you're in oregon here mike so i would use newcomb's even though newcomb's east coast specific use newcomb's in, in combination with uh, the pojar mckinnon northwest plant book and um because newcomb's um but but use that thing that, that that section on herb mentor how to use learn about plants because y- when you find the flower of the plant and correctly identify it when the plant's flowering um then you can be on the road to know that you've safely have the right plant do you agree with that or do you have another way or well no i think a uh an excellent field guide or two is indispensable uh i like the newcomb guide i also like the peterson um uh and then um also, going out with someone who really knows the plants themselves personally is very, very important. Uh, someone who really knows the plants can show you just a few plants in a very short amount of time, and you can kind of build upon that knowledge. And um, But certainly, a good field guide is indispensable. You, you know, mm-hmm. if you're learning about plants, you, you have to have one. 
And uh, we all know that as we were learning, we spent <laughs> years roaming around mm. fields and wood with a field guide in our hands, mm. bringing home plant samples, pressing them in a book, looking them up, identifying them, writing whatever we could write about the plant, and in that way, uh, creating uh, notes upon notes and uh you know, from your own hand about each individual plant. You know, that's another wonderful way of uh, keeping your own records. Right, so, right, uh, exactly. And pressing the actual plant in there is, is a really nice way of, of doing it, especially if it's flowering. So. Actually, I know we're getting short on time here, but there's just one more question that, that, that looks seems sure. like one that you you would be great um, at answering because Patty in Pennsylvania um, says that uh, says that, uh, that you refer to roses a lot and and because um, she has your books she has both of them she loves them um, and she's um, interested in, in knowing kinds of roses that that you grow in any tr- I don't know if there's opening a can of worms but um, of roses she grows and tricks for caring for them. So. Okay, my favorite, ro- I love roses. If there was one plant in all the world for me, it would be roses. I can use them for just about anything that comes up in my world. Uh, roses are phenomenal medicine. Uh, they're, uh, they're incredible. Uh, not only the rose flowers, but the leaf, the leaf bud, and of course the beautiful rose hip. Mm-hmm. Now, my favorite roses are the Rosa Ragosa. They grow wild and abundantly all over Maine, especially on the coast of Maine. Uh, but I, uh, many years ago, started uh, uh, from seed, from rose hips that I gathered. I started rose plants, so I have huge hedge and then all kinds of assorted roses all around my farm here now, all of which have been started by seed uh, over the years. These are the roses I love the most, the Rosa Ragosa. I I harvest the flowers very carefully. Every night this time of year we gather the roses, and we pick the rose petals off the flower, leaving the ovary and the center behind. So we'll still be able to um, develop fruit, and we go back for a second harvest later, and we gather all those rose hips oh, in wow. the fall. Wow. So um, I love Rosa Ragosa. There's another wonderful rose here, and I'm sorry I don't know the name of it, but it's a beautiful climbing rose with a white, small, very, very fragrant uh, flower. I call it an apothecary rose, an original non-hybridized apothecary rose, and that's another favorite. Both of these roses are my favorites for one very simple reason, well, two. One is they make fabulous medicine. Secondly, they require absolutely no care whatsoever besides weeding and, and the usual. But no sprays, no bugs, no problems, no yellow leaves, none of that. They're right, just right. Uh, roses that are live to bloom and thrive, you know, right. uh, with, with that kind of uh, wild uh, existence. So those are my favorites. The ones that are tricky to grow, they don't last long here with me. I'm not that type of a... Um, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't do well. Uh, my kids were never... Uh, 
pampered, and I don't do that to plants either. Yeah, yeah. glad to hear that. Me neither. <laughs> if, they, if they can't yeah. make it on their own, they're not in my garden. <laughs> that's, that's my uh, perspective. <laughs> exactly. I'll keep trying a few times to find a spot that they like, but if after a few years, no go, forget it. They're off my list. <laughs> I'll great. just look for them in the wild. And and also, I'll say to that uh, member as well, or mentor, um, we, we have some great you know there's rose honey on recipe thingy on uh, on herb mentor and um soon we're going to have a great uh, kiva kiva rose is going to have a great uh, uh lesson on making a rose elixir that's going to be on there so we have lots of rose so just search for rose for for remedies because she was curious about that too and well and, i love rose medicine and rose hip syrup is fabulous oh, yeah. fabulous and rose glycerite is awesome oh yeah uh, rose how do you make this out of this world i love making rose how do you do that how do you make a rose glycerite a rose glycerite. Yeah. Oh, gosh, just picking the roses yeah. and then uh, however your recipe for a glycerite. I usually use um, uh, glycerite, water, and alcohol mixed mm-hmm. all together. Mm-hmm. And that's my menstruum as I make a glycerite. Uh, it's mostly glycerite, but I do add the alcohol for stabilizing it. Mm, and it lasts longer. And some more of the good stuff that's more alcohol-soluble will also come out into the menstruum. But when you uh, use it, it's a very, very tasty, very, very uh, oh, just sublime uh, rose flavor in that glycerite. So I love rose glycerites. But the best is a rose mead with just a little sprinkling of some nice champagne yeast uh, on top of the uh, rose water. Ah, just heavenly. Oh, so, get me some yeah. ideas here. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have to go with it. Yeah. So, um, and so what I'd like to uh, end with here, Gail, is that I'd like you to tell us about your correspondence course, about your programs. How can people learn with you? Because one of the things about our adventure was great about one of my many purposes, of course, if, not just to hang out and talk, but also like to... I like to just connect people with mentors and teachers that are all around the country because sometimes people will be like, oh, I really like Gail. I really want to learn from her. So how can they learn from you? Okay. Well, I have, thank you for asking me and for giving me an opportunity to share what I do offer. I have a one-year-long or 12-lesson herbal medicine correspondence course that's been wonderfully received. Uh, I work personally with every single student uh, as they go through the lessons. So each uh, course is uh, really individually uh, suited for each student, and uh, I kind of guide them in their interests. So that's the one year long, and some students take a year and a half or even some longer, which is fine with me. As long as they're really working on the program, I give them all the help that I possibly can. I also have a three-year community herbalist program, students who are serious about continuing with their studies and uh, somehow fitting themselves into their communities, whether it's in a school setting or newspaper writing or clinical setting or whatever, um, they work with me for a period of three years. That's by correspondence and also hands-on. In the second year, they come to the farm for a a week-long session. Uh, At the end of the second year, we have a weekend together. And then third year and graduating year, we also have a weekend. And um, those three-year students all get together for one weekend a year here on the farm. So it's a wonderful time of sharing. 
and the second and third year students actually give presentations to the first year students. So that community herbalist program is is another wonderful way to get deep with the plants and to have my personal guidance uh, for three years. So. Um, well, if anybody listening is does any of Gail's, pro- we want reports on the forum on how it's gone and what you're learning. <laughs> oh, I'll tell my, I have plenty of wonderful herbal correspondence course students. I'll have to tell them to uh, check in with your herb mentor. Yeah. And also you can go on to, I have a Facebook page I just started for the school, Blessed Maine Herb Farm School of Herbal Medicine. And then, of course, my website, which is, um, com. Oh, I like that URL. Uh, so, uh, those, you know, that takes you to my school page uh, on okay. my Blessed Maine Herb Farm uh, uh, website. And then also I offer one month long herbal uh, apprenticeships here. Right now I have two oh. women studying here for the month and working with me on a daily basis and doing all of the gardening and the gathering and the medicine making. Mm-hmm. So depending on, uh, some people learn best hands-on. They mm-hmm. need to get right into that garden and learn with you right next to them. Others do well with more independent study, with you just kind of looking over their shoulder and guiding them. Mm-hmm. I try to offer what I can to meet the needs of any herbal student that's, you know, seriously uh, wanting to learn and grow. And really, in, uh, anyone out wisdom. anyone out there is just like, you know, if you got a busy life and job, not no matter where you live in the country, if you get a week or two vacation, take a week off, and what a better vacation or than to go hang out with Gail and do an apprenticeship for you will learn so <laughs> much just being there and living it for a week you got uh, yeah. well where I studied with uh, two wonderful wise women herbalists here in Northwest Eagle Song and Sally King at oh Coffee. yes I know them oh you do I know them well they oh, were my yes. they were my wife and I's mentors uh, when we were learning and uh, we both did their three-year program but I was always a little jealous because the uh, week-long or two-week-long apprenticeships live-in that they had were just for women. <laughs> so <laughs> so but, you couldn't go. I couldn't go, but, but, but the, those, I, those I know who did just got so much out of it. So, oh, I mean, I'm sure. So yeah. that's, I, I love that you have so many formats that people can learn with you. Mm, so, I love teaching, John. I really love sharing about the plants. It's something that gives me a great deal of happiness and satisfaction. So uh, it's really my life's dedication at this point uh, is sharing and bringing people along in uh, knowledge of the use of the plants. So, uh, you know, we are all trying to do our best on behalf of the earth. And that's my one little tiny piece that Mm. I feel, uh, you know, very good about doing. And the so. great news for, you know, the thing about everyone listening here, too, is that, you know, um, y- if you're listening and you feel like you're starting out or you're learning or you're a little into this, is this like keep down this path because you never know where it's going to lead. And you may very well in just a few years finding yourself in your community giving herb walks, maybe starting a couple little classes. And before you know it, five years down the line, you're going to have people around you that are going to be studying with you, going on wild crafting missions with, and you're going to uh, be, be a community or village herbalist in your area. And that's what we need. We need everyone in communities across the country just to delve in there and just 
connect with the plants and start sharing what you know with people. Absolutely. I think that's the critical, important part right there is the sharing. You learn and then you share. You keep the information moving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, John. This has been a wonderful uh, talk with you. It wasn't like an official interview. It was more like a fun conversation. Well, that's what that that's the, that's exactly what I try to do. <laughs> <laughs> who wants who wants to be official? <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. The plants are the weeds aren't official. They just do what they want, so we can do what we want, right? <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, Gail, I'd love to have you back sometime. So maybe we'll get that chance. So, Love to. Okay, thank you Love so to. much once again. Um, Gail uh, Faith right, Edwards, thanks for thank joining Thank you to us. your readers, for li uh, your listeners, for uh, listening in, and God bless all of you. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great Bye. week. Bye. All right, you too. Bye. After I turned off the record button, Gail continued to tell me of a couple of other things she wanted to let everyone know about, which was that Blessed Maine Herb Farm is a certified organic growers and uh, processors have all of their own herbal products such as tinctures, formulas, and herbal teas. They're all USDA, MOFGA certified organic and their tinctures are made in certified organic grade alcohol. Also that she offers earth and spirit tours each spring. They're nine day tours of southern Italy and many incredible archaeological sites such as a pilgrimage to the Black Madonna of Positano, the Amalfi Coast, Pompeii, ancient caves, shrines, beach mountains, uh, herbs, gardens, incredible food, you name it. And this is only limited to six participants. So thanks again to Gail for sharing with us and her website again, blessedmainherbs.com. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio. Copyright LearningHerbs.com. All rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.